Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Last year, we launched our course, The Data-Driven Classroom, and had hundreds of educators and clinicians take this course with consistently amazing feedback. I heard from so many teachers how this course really changed the way they approach data, how they were able to set up simple data systems, train their paras, and be collecting data to make data-based decisions within days of finishing the course. That feedback made me so happy. Now that course has been closed and unavailable since last year, but guess what? We are reopening the course, the data-based classroom, and I want you to be one of the first ones in. If data is something you have been struggling with for years, let's work on this together. Let me give you all of the tools to make this something that can consistently happen in your classroom. And guess what? Since you are a podcast listener, and I absolutely love my podcast listeners, I have an awesome code for you. When you use the code DATA100, you're going to get $100 off of the course bundle. Now, this code is only going to be usable until March 20th. So you only have one week to use this code, but Data 100 will get you $100 off of that course bundle. So that means for less than $200, you are getting the amazing data toolkit with literally hundreds of data sheets, all editable. And don't worry, I teach you how to edit it. And that entire data-driven course that touches on academic data, behavior data, staff training, and so much more. There's a link in the show notes with all of the information. Let's make this year the year that data really works. Hi, I'm Sasha Long, special ed teacher and board certified behavior analyst. Welcome to the Autism Helper Podcast. I'm here to explore different strategies to improve the lives of individuals with autism. Step two of the classroom setup process is structure. So in step one, we talked about thinking about all of the centers you are creating, how you're accomplishing those IEP goals at those centers, and now is the moving around the furniture part, looking at that empty classroom or that classroom that's filled with a ton of junk and figuring out the best way to use all of that stuff. Where are you putting all of these centers? You need to be thoughtful about this process. If you've set up your classroom one way and it hasn't worked and you've tried to make that work all year, you know as well as I do that a structure that's not functional can cause a lot of problems on a daily basis. We want to create an environment that is routine-based and that's structured. Having a structured environment decreases negative behaviors. It lessens student anxiety. It increases student independence. And it increases the overall efficiency of the classroom. A structured environment also means that your team is working collaboratively. If you are someone that has really struggled with staff training or managing your team, the best place to start is right here at the structure of your room. 
Later in this episode, I talked to Jen, one of our bloggers, about structure, and she and I keep t- coming back to this idea of how much a structured classroom actually helps our paraprofessionals and helps us train our paraprofessionals. So if you're someone that's really been struggling with the management aspect of your job as a special ed teacher, this is where you need to start. It doesn't start, you know, that PD day in August where you sit down and have a little staff meeting. It starts even before that. It starts when you set up your room. You need a room that's organized and structured. And if it does, if your room is set up in that way, your staff will be able to work with your students better and you will have the time to train and manage your team. We need a classroom that is both visually defined and visually divided. So you want centers that are physically separate from other centers and there to be very clear boundaries on where one center starts and another center ends because every center is going to have different expectations. When you are at morning meeting, the expectations are that you talk, that you use your social skills, that you participate and interact with your peers and your teachers. But when you're independent work, which is maybe just one table over, the expectations are totally different. The expectations are that you don't talk, that you work quietly, and that you work by yourself. And we want the physical space to be a cue to our students for what is expected to them. And this is because many of our learners struggle with receptive language and picking up on social cues. So oftentimes we will tell our learners or our students what is expected of them. Well, not all of our kids might be able to understand all of that language. There's also a lot of social cues for what types of behavior is expected and what type of behavior isn't expected. When you're on the playground and you see all of the other kids running and yelling, it's a social cue that, oh, hey, I can run and yell now too. But when you're in the library and you see your peers sitting quietly, that's a social cue that I should sit quietly. Our kids aren't always able to pick up on that yet. They might be really loud in the library or rush into a quiet assembly, you know, yelling to a teacher across the auditorium, not picking up on those social cues that, ooh, this assembly is on a serious topic and everyone's really quiet. So that's the expected behavior. So we want to use the visually defined and visually divided centers to be an additional cue besides just our language and just those social cues on what's expected. That, hey guys, when we sit at this table at this time, these are the types of behaviors we engage in and these are the types of activities we engage in. Students are going to know what's expected of them before they even sit down. That's the key. The goal is predictability. We do the same things at the same tables at the same time. I know exactly what I'm going to do before I get to that table or before I get to that desk. I know what type of activity that's going to be. When everyone's on the same page, we're going to, of course, be more independent. We're going to, of course, have less behaviors and less anxiety because we know what's coming. It's all about that anticipation. No one likes being surprised. Imagine if you showed up at an in-service and your principal said, hey, guess what? Instead of our agenda today, we are going to do, um, you know, a data review all day or we're going to do these assessments or we're going to do an online training for eight hours. You would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. 
I don't want to do that. Even if you're like me and a data review sounds kind of fun, a surprise puts us kind of on edge right away. But if we know what's going to happen and we know what's expected, we're ready to jump in and get working right away. So you want to figure out a logical placement for the centers that we talked about in step one that you'll be creating. You want to put centers in an order that makes sense. You want to start to think about which centers should be near each other. I love the idea of keeping more work-oriented centers or parts of your classroom together and having more recreation, leisure, break activities in a different area. Because if Johnny's sitting at morning meeting and he's supposed to be doing a journal entry, but Sarah's at break time playing on the computer right next to him, that's going to be pretty distracting. So think about how we can remove distractions and make sure that every part of the classroom is visually divided and defined from other centers. So to help us get even more detailed into this topic, I'm going to share my conversation with Jen, one of the Autism Helper bloggers who teaches in a self-contained classroom. We both agree that the goal is for our classrooms to run without us. And I thought it was so funny in this conversation how we kept coming back to the staff management and the team component of structure, that you wouldn't think that the first steps of having a great team start in that hot, August day when you start moving your furniture around. You're starting to make those first choices about how your team works together. There's a ton of great information in this conversation. I can't wait for you to hear it. So structure, I thought Jen would be an amazing person to talk to because she is ridiculously organized, but really gets the structure component. So Jen, can you tell us a little bit your thought about your thought process behind structuring your class? Absolutely. So the first thing is it has to be functional. And the second thing it has has absolutely has to be accessible. So you've got to set up your room to run without you. That's my mantra all the time. You never know when you're going to be called out to hinder behavior or have to deal with the situation. And so your room has to be as functional as you can possibly make it. And then safety comes into play too. So you always have to think about those three things. Um, I'm all about having a Pinterest worthy classroom if that's your jam. However cute should be your last thing that you possibly do. Um, I try to create a safe functional space that's easily accessible for all my students and my professionals using my room. I think that sometimes we forget professionals use our room just like we do. Our classrooms are revolving doors. So speech teachers, OT, PT, vision, hearing, O&M, assistants, you've got to really think about who's using your classroom and what the needs for those people are. So I really start by making a list. I make a list of everyone in my classroom, everyone who uses my classroom, and what the needs are. I start with physical needs first because those are the easiest to identify. So are there strollers, wheelchairs, standers, walkers, canes? That stuff has to be met physically first. But then I start carving out spaces um, to meet the educational needs of my students. Do I need an independent workstation? Do I need ABA stations? Do I need a morning meeting? Is that a large group area, a small group area? And then I define those spaces um, with carpets, furniture, tablecloths, stickers, whatever it is, but I define that space. And then I really think about student behavior in the end too. I take a look around the room and I think about my students and I think about the behavior that they engage in. And then I think, okay, well, I've got a runner. 
well, let's make it harder for them to run. Mm-hmm. <laughs> let's, let's rearrange this little section right here and make that exit easier to block. Uh, do I have a kid that climbs? Okay, well, every bookshelf needs to be against the wall and bolted, and nothing can be over three feet in the middle of the room. Um, I've got a kiddo that hides, like legitimately hid from me today. So <laughs> I totally rearranged my room. <laughs> I made sure that that space was no longer hideable and that it was pretty open in all those areas. And I always make sure that wherever I'm doing my main teaching, I can see just about every space in my classroom because again, safety comes first. So that's really my mantra is functional, accessible, and safe. Like if I can meet those things, then I can make it pretty and cute at the end. But (laughs) that is the structure um, that I go for is functional and accessible and can it run without me? Is everything in place? So my assistants know, my kids know, everybody knows where everything is and everything runs like clockwork. Two things you said in this like were like light bulb moments. One is thinking of the adults. Like we forget about how many adults are in my room. And I actually, when you said that, I thought about one of my first years teaching. Maybe it was my first year. I set up new centers, but I had nowhere for the adults to sit. So the adults, like there were like four chairs and there were four kids. And then the adults were like awkwardly pulling chairs from other spots. And it was so, it was not functional at all. Right. Well, and I've made the same mistake and I've only learned from my mistakes and I've learned from other teachers who have amazingly run classrooms. Um, I work with some of the best and my assistants deserve a space where they can work, you know, and they deserve to have the materials that they need right there. So they don't have to scramble because let me be real. The minute I get up from my table to go find the scissors so this kid can cut this paper behavior ensues. So if I can keep that behavior squalled by having scissors next to me, gosh, darn it. Those scissors are going to be next to me. And for your staff too, like you you want to set them up for success also. Amen. Absolutely. Actually, one of my best decisions and like little hoarding creepy things I did in my school was someone was getting rid of old office chairs, like nicer office chairs. I mean, not nicer, but like for a school, nicer. And I took them. No one said I couldn't. And I did one of those don't ask, don't tells. And I took them. (laughs) So each of my paraprofessionals had like in a, not even just like a, a student chair, like a real adult chair at their table. And it just like it gave them more integrity. Like you are a teacher in this room. And it, it, it was something so small that really did make a difference. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
Okay, so I have ABA spaces in my classroom, and that's one of the centers that I just have. Most of my kids, being in a K2 autism classroom, most of my kids learn through ABA methods, mainly discrete trial, and that's really one-to-one. So one of the things that we did is we built ABA cubbies. So you still have egress into the space, but the distractions are gone. And so we put a table there. And we have pocket charts on the wall for any anchor charts the kids might need during that program. But also, we put adult chairs and a child chair. So it's important to think about the adults in your space and set them up for success. And that's just one of those things. Like, if you want your assistants and you want the people that you work with to feel valued and do a good job for you, then you have to set them up for success Mm -hmm. that way. You have to treat them as professionals. Don't hand them a baby chair. It's not comfortable. I mean, I'm five feet and it's still not comfortable for me. So (laughs) Absolutely. I will totally sit in a baby chair. Like I will take it all day, every day if I need to, but I'm going to give my assistants the big chair. Yes. And I love how you talk about like the structure of the class being this like almost like moving, breathing thing. Like it's, it's differentiated. It's changing. It's not like I, I did it this way once and that's just how I always do it. Oh my gosh. Well, our caseloads change every year. Mm -hmm. So shouldn't our classroom change every year? Like the structure of our room should be based upon the needs that we're serving. So you've got to create flexible spaces within your classroom. You know, my group table transforms to a calendar space in the morning and a snack table in the afternoon and a one-on-one table when I do reading and math. And I use those little Ikea carts to carry my curriculum wherever it is that I need to meet my students. But I've got to think flexibly because there's some things that I just can't change. Mm -hmm. You know, my kiddos who are in a wheelchair, I can't change that. So Mm -hmm. what can I do to meet their needs? And how can I set up my space physically to make sure that they are comfortable and they're welcomed? Because that's the thing. If if a space isn't comfortable for somebody, they're not going to feel welcome and they're not going to do their best for you. So you've got to be welcoming, not just to your kids, but to your adults as well. And that's that's, everybody who walks in. It's human nature. Like it's, you know, you don't want to be somewhere that you don't feel welcome or comfortable at. Even like think about you go to someone's house and, you know, they like don't kind of let you know, hey, come and sit down. You feel uncomfortable at first. And that might not feel very good. Absolutely. So it's all about that structure and that, that main that day in the summer where you're literally standing there in a heap of boxes <laughs> and a heap of tables, bears every which direction, and you're going, oh, my gosh, where do I start? Start with a list. Yeah. Like, I legitimately, like, make a list of my caseload. I make a list of all the staff that comes into my room because I know who my related service providers are. And I make a list of how many assistants I'm going to have and what their needs are. My assistants need a place to hang up their coat. I should yes. probably make sure that that happens. They probably need a a safe place to hide their lunch so none of my little boogers steal it. You know, my related service providers need a space to check in and sign kids in and out. And they probably also need access to our schedule. So how could I set that up to where they can see that? You know, walk through their day in your classroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you get that schedule, the schedule piece to me is really almost what feeds my structure, Mm -hmm. because I then take that schedule and I pretend I'm my assistants. Okay, well, I'm going to have these two kids today. And what does this look like? Well, I'm going to be over here for this and I'm going to be over here for this. And then I've got to grab everything and I've got to go to PE and we'll wait a minute. Should we take our lunches? Should we not? Where do, where should we keep our lunches? And then I write those things down and then I start because I've got that list Mm -hmm. and then I can make those spaces. And I've already anticipated the behavior 
because I've negated all of it. I've, I've planned for the problem sections and I've set my staff and my kids up for success. Yeah, it's so crazy. You know, we t- I talk about staff training so much and team buy-in and I get so many questions about that. And it, it starts in like the basics. It starts in that hot day in August when you're looking around your room. Like that's when your staff isn't, isn't even around you. Like that's when your staff training starts. Because if you have staff that doesn't feel like a member of the team, like it's comfortable, like things are thought of for them, of course they're not going to want to work hard for you. So it's exactly. like you wouldn't think when talking about class structure that staff training would come in, but that's really where it starts. Absolutely. It totally does. And you have to constantly be thinking, if I were in their shoes, what would I need? And how would I need to be supported? And then if you can set your physical environment up to aid in that, then do it. And I'll be real. In my classroom, I don't even have a desk. I mean, that's one of the things I did a long time ago is I ditched my desk. My assistants have a computer that they check in and check out on and they can check their email, but that is the only desk in my classroom because I want to be up and I want to be one of them. I want to be moving just like they do. I want to be working with the students just like they do. I don't want to be over in a little corner sitting on my little teacher chair behind my desk. Yeah. You know, I want to be right in the thick of it. And so that was probably one of the most um, valuable things that I did this year when I kind of changed things up is I got rid of that because I almost feel like that alone sets a precedent. Yes. It's like an equalizer, you know? Oh my God. Yes. So you walk into a room and it's like your eyes go straight to the teacher desk. Oh, look, the important one. There's where she sits. I want my kids to know that every assistant in that room has just as much power as I do. Yeah. No one is over anybody else. And so what I didn't realize is that teacher desk set a precedent of me being more important and valuable than my assistants. And that's not true. That's so true. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like that's such a, yeah, really it signals something not only to your team, but to your kids too. Like you said. Yeah. It's just those nonverbal things that really make a huge difference. You know, you can tell your kids how to behave and what to behave all day long, but the bottom line is unless we're changing, their behavior is not going to change. Yeah. And one of the ways we can change is with physical structure. So we've got to really think through and anticipate that behavior and those needs and then meet those needs within the structure of the classroom. Yeah, the structure part to me is so much in the planning and the like thoughtfulness, not just like I put this here because this is where it happened to be or this is where it was last year, just taking a few extra minutes. And it's not like you need to spend all summer thinking about it, but just like being a little bit purposeful, you know, and really thinking through. So what are kind of the main areas in your classroom, like the bigger centers or like areas of your room? Okay. So the first one I think is super important and I think it gets overlooked a lot. I have a communication station and I have one for my students and one for the adults in my room. So the one for my students has like a communication book area. So we've got home notes that go back and forth in a book and then folders and those kind of things. Any field trip permission forms, all of that just goes in one section Because I have a one-touch paper rule. You touch it, you're done with it. And that has to be the way that it is in my classroom. Too many adults, too many cooks in the kitchen. If we don't know exactly what to do, somebody's going to do something with it and nobody else is going to know. So we try to anticipate that. And we create organization through a communication station. And then I have one for related service providers. Because their schedule is 
just as hard, if not harder than mine, Mm -hmm. because they're working with how many teachers and how many kids and how many schedules. And what about this gen ed teacher? And oh, wait, PE got changed today. And I didn't know. And what about this over here? So I have a check-in, check-out station for them. I've got a copy of my schedule, a copy of our like weekly newsletter from the office with any changes. If I get notices from the music teacher that, you know, things have changed or PE is outside today, then they're going to go hunt for a student. I put all of that right there. So they have all the information they need to use their time as valuable as possible and they can be successful in what they're doing. And they don't have to interrupt you to find that out, that information. Amen. That is (laughs) one of my biggest pet peeves is when I'm in the middle of teaching and somebody has to ask me something. So how do I negate that? Well, I change my behavior. Yeah. I, I set them up for success. Look I show these antecedent behaviors. interventions you use for uh, yourself. <laughs> it all comes down to ABA, friend. All <laughs> comes down to ABA. <laughs> Um, so outside of the communication station, I have a morning meeting space. So I color code all of this. Every kid in my classroom has a color. And that's just how I roll. I didn't do this my first year. So this is one of the things that like, As I grew and I changed, um, one of my fellow teachers said, hey, have you ever thought about color coding? I think I'm going to give it a shot. Well, I am a go big or go home kind of girl, so I don't do anything halfway. That's (laughs) not who I am. Um, I either win or I don't do it. So (laughs) um, I like to win. So I color coded everything. And it was a game changer. Oh my gosh. So every kid has a color and that color is represented in their folders, in their communication station, in their independent work and at their table spots and in their morning meeting spots. So all my kids instantly know where to go, what to do. There's no behavior. There's no fighting. There's no, well, I want to sit here. And so and so wants to sit there. Everybody knows what's expected all of the time and they just do it. Um, Then I have ABA spaces. Like I said, most of my kids learn through discrete trials. So that is really quiet one-on-one spaces. And so we kind of built dividers, um, like I said, that kind of give egress. Think of it like a big fat L, if you will. And we put tables in there, an adult chair and a, a teacher chair. And then the teachers pick up that child's ABA crate and bring it on over and they do their work there. Um, and that just creates quiet work zones where about these dividers. How did you make these? Oh my gosh. Okay. So actually (laughs) this is the most amazing thing. I inherited them from the teacher who resigned before me. Um, and I took her position, but they, her husband made them. They're the most amazing things in the entire world. They are two by fours on the bottom and they are sheets of wainscoting in between. Yeah, and they are built like with brackets. If you look at my story on your Instagram page. I was just going to say that. I think you can see it in the story. Yeah, I actually snapped a picture of like how they're connected. They're like literally anybody with a screwdriver can build this thing. Lowe's or Home Depot will cut the wood to the size that you need. And then you literally just put the piece of wainscoting on top of the two by fours, screw it together. And then we used L brackets to put the two pieces together and create this divider. I am all about... Cost savings when it comes to a classroom. So I think literally the dividers, when we broke it out, ended up costing about $12 a piece. Okay, you're gonna have to do like a video we can put on YouTube on this. Yeah, I would totally do that. (laughs) that that. But I'm telling you, it was the easiest thing in the world. Um, And we painted them and they're very neutral and they're just, they create these quiet zones within the classroom and they're only two and a half feet tall. 
And I like that they look very physically safe because I've seen a lot of people do it with PVC pipe and it just feels like they can knock over very easily. Oh my gosh. Well, that is the number one thing, right? It goes back to being functional, Mm -hmm. accessible, and safe. Mm -hmm. So that's the safety piece. If your dividers are not safe and can easily be pushed over in the classroom, what are you doing? Like your kids are not going to be safe. So you've got to make sure that those kids that are physical or have spatial needs can get in and out. So Mm -hmm. you've got to have egress in there and you've got to make sure that you are using things with substance that can't be easily tipped over. Um, I had one divider that I used with one kiddo who very much liked to try to tip things over and we bolted it to the wall. Yeah. I mean, you could, yeah, you just got to be safe in what yeah. you do. Yeah. Um, so then I have independent work areas as well. So I have an independent work table that's kind of out in the middle of the classroom. And I did that intentionally because when I was teaching a small group, I wanted to be able to see mm-hmm. that the kids were on task. Um, and that's the biggest thing is like, I want to have eyes and I want to have ears all the time. I actually schedule time to where I'm not teaching and I'm just observing and listening to my assistants do ABA. Uh, if you are not doing that, schedule five minutes in your day. You will learn more about your kids and more about your assistants in those five minutes than yes. you ever knew before. And you won't do it if it's not in your schedule. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's at different points every day. So I literally schedule it twice a day. Um, at different times so I can hit everybody in my classroom Um, and I can listen to them work with different kids because that's the thing when the environment and the kid changes, the behavior likely changes too. So we've got to make sure that we're meeting that across all environments. Um, But I really wanted to see that independent work station and I wanted to make sure that those kids were doing what was appropriate. So around that station, we've got different things that they do. They have leveled file folders for IEP goals. They have task boxes that are leveled for their IEP goals. There's journal writing pages that's leveled to where they are handwriting wise and then handwriting without tears workbook that they can independently do as well. And then there's icons that they use to indicate that they're done with each one. So I've trained each of my kids on how to do that and what to do. Um, And so that's a pretty self-sufficient area, but I still like to have my eyes on it because you never know (laughs) when something's going to go rogue. (laughs) Um, And then I have a big group table, like right in the middle of my classroom. And I love that because group learning is like the center of my classroom. So much of what we do is individualized in our world in special ed, especially in the autism world that when you can get kids to work in a group or even a pair, it is magical. So I want that to be the most important thing in my classroom that be right in the center. So that was the heart of my classroom, that group table, because I wanted to show kids that that was really meaningful to me, that we, that was the most important part of our day is working together as a team. So, um, and then, like I said, I use those rolling carts and I literally have one that's filled with Edmark and SRA math. Those are the two curriculums I use within my classroom. I roll it to whatever table I need to work with. And then I, um, have another one for fluency. So whenever I do a fluency station, I roll into one of those little ABA uh, cubbies and then I've got everything I need right there. You've got to think flexibly. So if you can't have the materials right at your hand, can you put them on a cart? Can you wheel it to you? What can you do to get those materials to you and create that space? Oh my gosh, that's so great. And I love, again, how you like are highlighting that the way your room is is structured and set up says something about like your values as a classroom and that something as as simple as having a group table that's in a prominent spot that is communicating something to your students that we're not like all in little cubbies alone all day we're in there some of the day and then we go do work together 
Absolutely. Well, and that's where we'll sit and we'll do social skills and that's where we'll do games as a class. And, you know, there's fun stuff that happens at that table. So kids are excited to come to it. It's special when they get to work with me at that table. Um, and setting up that anticipation for them is huge and they love it. So if you can create an environment where your kids are excited to come to you, you've won as a yes. teacher. <laughs> I mean, you really have. Yeah. And this idea of the moving cards is great because I agree with you. Like you need the stuff, everything you need, you need right when you need it. Like I talk about this with dad all the time. Like I Velcro pencils to everything like a crazy person and everyone thought I was nuts, but I was like, take data without a pencil. I dare you. Absolutely. Oh my God. (laughs) I literally have behavior charts for every kid lined up on every ABA cubby, like around the classroom. So we can literally just grab it and go. Because I've got to take every single kid in my classroom has a BIP. I mean, I'll just yeah. be real with you. Yeah. They all do. And so we're constantly, if you are not taking behavior data and you have kids with a BIP, you need to really question what you're doing as a teacher. Yeah. So we take behavior data all day, every day. And yeah. I, when I started, I went, how on earth is this going to happen? Well, if you can't reach it, you're not going to yeah. do it. So you've got to have it in your face and functional yeah. at all times. And no one's going to walk around with a clipboard. Yeah. I mean, you yeah. just can't. Yeah, you drop it somewhere and you put it back. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So anybody can grab it. Anybody can record the data, even outside of whoever's dealing with the behavior. Yeah, that's true. keeping it accessible. And it's the same way with supplies. You know, you're not going to have little Johnny all angelic ready to learn. And you're like, oh, hold on. Let me go get that book we were going to do. Or let me go get a glue stick. You need it. Because then when you get up, you come back. Johnny's like on the playground. He's eating like, you know, your lunch that you brought. Like Absolutely. Yeah, right. Uh, drinking my coffee. That legitimately <laughs> happened to me today. One oh of my, my school girls grabbed my coffee cup and she goes, mmm, coffee. <laughs> I was like, shoot. Yeah. I my coffee today. I needed that. Um, but it was my own fault because I left yep. it on the table. So I should have yeah. known better. Um, but, you know, you bring up something really important. And that is that space can be used to create problem-solving opportunities for our kids. So one of the things that I do when I'm working with my kids is that I show them and I train them where everything is. And I literally have scissors and pencils and glue sticks and those things in multiple spots in my classroom, especially in those center locations. But when I'm working on a paper with a student, I will hand it to them and I'll ask them, well, what do you think you need? And where do you think you could find that? Okay, let's see if you can do it. Yeah. Give them those opportunities to use the space that you've trained them in to problem solve. Yeah. You set them up for success. Now let them be free in their environment and see what they can do. Yep. Yep. You I mean, are like, you are, I mean, this is like my love language here. Like I like my mantra lately has been, uh, you know, we'll never teach problem solvers if our kids never run into problems. Like, so teach them where the things are and then let them go find it and let them figure out what they need. Yeah. And so much of what we do as special education teachers is we negate behavior. You know, we figure out what the triggers are. We remove the triggers. We modify the environment. We do the FBAs, we do the BIPs, we figure it out, we call in consultants, we problem solve. And sometimes I think by doing that, we don't provide a challenge for the student once the behavior's gone. Mm -hmm. And we don't provide opportunities to grow. And we just get stuck in this like, oh, the behavior's gone. Okay, but wait a minute. That environment's not always going to be modified. Yeah. So what if my kid goes to PE and it's super loud and I forgot the headphones? Yeah. 
how are we going to fix that? What can we do? How can we problem solve? How can we teach that kid to be successful? Um, what are we going to do when the kid before didn't put the scissors back? Yeah. And the kid goes over to the um, supply shelf and can't find the scissors. Yeah. I mean, that was smacked me right in the face my first year teaching because I told a girl to go get scissors and she walked over to the bookshelf and stood there for five minutes. Yeah. She couldn't find the scissors and she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to ask for help. Yeah. I was failing her as a teacher because I hadn't taught her those important steps of how to be functional. So we've got to create challenges for our students. And, and we're scared. We- I think people, especially like oh, when you've yeah. talked about yeah. challenging behaviors, like the second those challenging behaviors are gone, you're like, what? You want me to? No, we're just, we're, we walk on eggshells. Don't, I mean, I've literally seen behavior plans that are written. You do not say no to this child. I'm like, well, guess what? Johnny's going to be in a world where someone's going to say no to him. Like, um, yeah. I have to tell you. And we've got to rock the boat because. And chances are it's going to be a kid on the playground and you're going to have no control of that situation. Yes. So yeah. how are you going to teach Johnny to be able to behave and function when another kid tells him no? Yes, yes. And you know what? The most important place to teach that is in a structured learning environment. Where you can control the situation as much as possible. Exactly. You've got control. And so you know what's going to happen. You know where it's going to happen. You know when it's going to happen. And you know how it's going to happen. You know, the scary thing is when you leave your classroom, how are they going to be able to do it? So if you can set your classroom up for those learning challenges, do it. Yeah. Get your kids as functional as you possibly can and then generalize that to the gen ed classroom and other environments. And when you have that structured, organized room where everything has a spot, everything's routine, everything is, you know, goes the same way each day, kids are going to thrive and be successful in those problem solving situations because it's all prepared for them. They, it's not (laughs) going to be as challenging as we think. Absolutely. So I always say if we want to see behavior decrease, we need to see the student become more independent. Mm-hmm. So how do we do that? Well, we typically need to change what we're doing. Yeah. Uh, we need to change our environment. We need to change our approach. And really, by giving them that independence, they're winning. You're winning. Everybody's winning. Your job really should be to get yourself out of a job. Yep. Like, I tell them all the time, your job is to lose your job. And they get like absolutely. so uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, trust me, when you build it, they will come. Yes. There's always going to be another student <laughs> totally. right, ready there to take their place. But I want to get kids out of my classroom. Yeah. You know, we want them in the least restrictive environment. We've got to set our kids up for success by that. And structure in your classroom is the number one way to do it. Yeah, it, it's, it almost seems counterintuitive that like, adding so much structure would do that, that like that is a method to like promote inclusion and promote opportunities for, you know, inclusion outside of your room, but it really will because it will give them the tools and the like comfort and confidence mm-hmm. to problem solve. Absolutely. So when thinking about, you know, like we've talked a lot about like stuff, like, you know, glue sticks, materials, curriculum, what is your, what are your tips for staying organized? Cause I think yeah. special ed teachers, we have all the things, right? Like, uh, yeah. And I am not a firm believer in the saying that less is more. <laughs> um, you should see my house when it comes to my special ed stuff and my teaching stuff. It takes over. Um, when we moved from Missouri to Illinois, it took an entire U-Haul to move my classroom thing. <laughs> I mean, I'm not necessarily, because what if you're going to need that thing yeah. for a project in like five years? Yeah. I mean, I'm that kind of teacher. So I hoard all the things. I keep all the things. And so I've learned a valuable lesson within that. And that is that you have to have a spot for everything that's functional in your classroom. You need to label all the things. And this is where it comes back to having your classroom 
run without you functionally. You know, you need to set that space up and have a place for everything and then teach the expectation that things go in that space. Your assistants and your teachers are going to be held to the expectation that you expect from them. I mean, they are going to rise to that or they're going to sink to that. So if you have an expectation that everything is always put back the way that it's supposed to be, and you hold your students to that, your assistants will follow. Mm -hmm. They will put everything back where they need it. And also you've got to think through, you know, again, what you're going to need and put those supplies in the places that you need them. It's okay to have scissors in six different places in your room. It truly is, you know, And I not only label all the things, but for my students, when they're putting materials away, I do picture cues. Mm -hmm. Just so much easier for them to know, okay, this, this picture goes with this picture. Basic matching skills to be able to put things away. And then I color code everything, all the things, my friend, you know, you just have to color code. If you're not doing it, you're truly missing out. Like I said, I wish that I would have done it for all these years and I've, I've, like I said, I go big or go home. So uh, I went big and I color coded every single thing that my students have from folders to curriculum binders, to journals, to all of it. And it doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, I'm talking like Dollar Tree and Walmart. 88 like washi tape later. or like, you oh know, my gosh, like, yes, absolutely. It can be super easy. It does not have to be hard. I mean, those little vinyl circles that I use that are color coded for, to indicate student spaces. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was a game changer because then everybody knows right where to go. My transitions, like you blink your eye. My principal was amazed the first time she came in my classroom. She goes, Jen, I literally blinked because I went to go type something. I looked up and your kids had moved from the floor to the table. (laughs) And I said, well, isn't that how it's supposed to be? Yeah. She goes, well, yeah, but in a gen ed classroom, I would think that you would have a lot of issues in your classroom. Well, why? Yeah. Why would I have issues in my classroom? My kids know exactly what to do, when to do it, and how to do it because I've taught it. Yeah. So that's the thing about organization. It's taught. You know, we mm-hmm. have to teach our staff and our students how to use the things and how to put the things away. And then I think it's important, too, to include your staff because they're using the things just as much if not more than you are. So be open to the suggestions, ask them what they need. Um, You know, I've got one assistant that runs my communication station in the morning. So at the end of the school year last year, I said, what could you use to make this space more functional? She goes, you know, I could really use some hanging files on the wall. So I would have homework ready to go and leveled for each kid and be able to put in their folders because I always have that ready to go for the week. And then I could use another packet for like in, the emergency information. Well, how great is that? So it literally cost me $5 to go buy some hanging folders that I put on the wall and her space is so much more functional. Um, And I would never have thought about that unless I would have asked her. So you've got to involve your staff too, because they use the space just as much as you do. And And you don't have all the answers. Like there's things that we haven't thought of that they probably have. Well, and it makes them feel like they're part of the team. Mm -hmm. Again, it's their classroom just like yours. You know, your classroom has to be inviting for all the people and all the kids. So the more you can get them involved, the better off you're going to be. So ask the questions, even if you don't want to do something that they yeah, have. You don't have to take the suggestions. But. You don't have to do it, but you should ask. You should definitely ask. And you should try to do some of the things at least that they need to do or that they suggest to do. 
This is kind of a silly thing that I just thought of. This was like one of my, like, I don't know, year three or four year of teaching. But one two, one of my assistants every year folded up a paper towel, every day, every day, folded up a paper towel and put it under her water bottle because she didn't want to leave a watermark. And then she would like go do something, move, and I would like throw these paper towels away all day. And then she'd start hiding them from me because I was throwing them away. <laughs> and I was throwing them away without really realizing it too. Like I just get in the like. Absolutely. You're cleaning all the things. Yes. And I didn't even realize it. And then I realized it and I felt really bad. And I bought everyone like a set of coasters, just like cork coasters to put in there. And she was like, so like, oh my gosh, you bought like the, I was like, they were like, you know, $5 coasters. I bought a big pack. So we all had them and they didn't leave watermarks. Like she was trying to be nice. And I was being rude, throwing this away. But that's funny. But it's just yeah, like, it's so funny that this whole, this conversation about classroom structure, we've talked about staff almost Absolutely. the whole time. And it really, it's so like, it really highlights that, you know, the staff training component is embedded into all the steps of classroom setup. And if you want that successful team, you have to always be thinking about them. Well, I always laugh when people tell me that they don't have time to train their staff <laughs> because you do have time. And mm-hmm. if you set your classroom up the right way, you have a lot of time mm-hmm. to do it. Because your classroom should be functional, again, without you. Mm-hmm. Your kids should know exactly where all the things are, exactly what to do, and exactly how to do it. And everyone should know everyone's role in your classroom. So you should be able to intermix all the time. You know, I have staff that can run calendar for me and step in for me. And then I can go train to assistants on a method that I or a new ABA program that I need them to do. And then the next day, somebody else does it. And I take the other two assistants and I go train them. You have to build that kind of time into your day. You have to be flexible. But if my classroom wasn't structured and well-organized, that would never fly. Yeah. It would never be successful. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my gosh, Jen, thank you so much. This is There have been, like, so many great ideas. This will be like a, you have to listen to this with a pad and paper so you can write down all the ideas. Um, and I'm definitely going to have you do a YouTube video on your um, – dividers because I think everyone will want to see those. <laughs> like I said, I would be happy to, but um all right. Well thank you so much. I'm gonna link um all of Jen's most recent blog posts that are that touch on a lot of these topics too in the show notes so everyone can see all of these great things that she's talking about too. So thank you so much. Oh thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So whether you are in the summer thinking about setting up your classroom in the fall or you are listening to this episode in the middle of the school year. Really look at your classroom and think about those two important points that Jen shared with us. Is this functional and is this accessible? If you can achieve that in all areas of your classroom, you are sure to master step two, classroom structure, and have lots of success on making sure your kids are working and engaged and your team is a collaborative unit. Did you know that two out of three teachers turn to Teachers Pay Teachers for educational resources? As a seller on TPT, this makes me so excited. I love seeing educators turn to other educators for support in their classrooms. There are so many great resources on Teachers Pay Teachers, and this could be made even better if we could involve school budgets in this process. Enter TPT for Schools. TPT for Schools makes it easy for administrators and teachers to collaborate when making curricular decisions. TPT helps you set up a way of using school funds for these resources. This is a new program and there's already over 5,000 schools registered. 
In the special ed world, this is even more important because we don't have that many resources and the resources that are provided for us might not be so appropriate for our class. To learn more about TPT for Schools, visit schools.teacherspayteachers.com. Thanks for listening to the Autism Helper podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to hear more, hit subscribe. It would mean a lot to me if you left some feedback. Whether I'm working one-on-one with a student, doing a podcast like this one, or presenting for a PD, my goal is always to provide as much value as I can. So your feedback really helps me make sure I'm doing just that. If you have other topics you'd like me to cover, leave in the feedback or message me on social media. You can follow me at The Autism Helper on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest, or visit my website, theautismhelper.com. Thanks again for listening. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Having the right resources for your classroom is essential to making sure your classroom is running smoothly. At the Autism Helper Shop, we have all of the resources you need to make sure you have the behavior, communication, and curriculum supports for your students. Within our shop, we have adapted books, task cards, resources aligned to the VB map and the ABLES, behavior plan flowcharts, data sheets, curriculum. Everything you need, whether you are an early childhood teacher or a high school teacher, we have all of the resources that will meet those students' needs. So head over to shop.theautismhelper.com to check out all of our resources.